I invite you to open your Bible or one of the pew Bibles to the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 12. The reading will begin uh, at verse 9, reading uh, the passage we read last Sunday, but continuing now to, uh, through verse 21. Let us ask the Lord, whose spirit breathed out his word and preserved it for us in Holy Scripture to breathe upon us afresh, to open our minds, open our hearts, that we might receive his word in true faith and respond in obedience and thanksgiving. Let us pray. Lord, we are thankful that you love us, you care for us, and you speak to us that which is good and true through your word written in Scripture. And so we pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would work that grace to give us spiritual illumination, open our hearts to make us receptive to your word. O Lord, we pray that you would renew our minds and transform our lives more and more into the likeness of your Son, our Savior, in whom we trust and in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. The Word of God, Romans 12, beginning at verse 9, it is written, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. And to his name be all praise, honor, and glory. Amen. Well, this morning we're picking up right where we left off last Sunday, and this sermon is really part two of uh, one large sermon, including last Sunday's, which I've entitled, Learning to Live as Christians. Perhaps better titled, Learning to Live as the Christian Community Together, Learning to Live as the Body of Christ, the Church of Jesus Christ 
corporately. Now, it's, it's important for us to, to see this passage which we just read in which we get these discipleship directions, these ethical instructions in a rather rapid-fire fashion and they, they seem perhaps to be um, in, some, in some ways disconnected one from another. But what Paul is really doing here is giving these ethical instructions um, in the first century to uh, believers in Rome, many of whom, you know, did not grow up within the Jewish community. They were Gentiles. They were pagans. And the things that we take so much for granted, love one another with brotherly affection and so forth, honor one another, those were not virtues of first century uh, Roman culture. And so these are just basic foundational instructions about living as Christians. It's also important for us to remember that all of these ethical instructions, these directions for discipleship, are to be lived out in response to the mercies of God. Always remember from here forward how Romans 12 begins with the call to respond to the mercies of God. The Christian life is life lived in response to the mercies of God poured out upon us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So again, as I said last Sunday, these instructions are not simply uh, advice about how to be nice. They are, in fact, instructions about how to live in response to the mercies of God. We pick up this morning at verse 11, which exhorts us not to be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. This is a general admonition reminding us that God has called us to serve Him in whatever way that we can. Again, our lives being a response to His mercies. The Word of of God uh, in the letter to the Colossians, which we often hear, we often quote, whatever you do, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. And so Paul is reminding us not to go slack, not to become spiritually slothful. The Christian faith is not a passive, do-nothing faith. The Christian faith is not a spectator sport, if you will. The Christian faith is not a set of ideas or morals to carry around in our head. It is a life to be lived in response to the mercies of God by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit within us. So, the point of the verse is not to let our love for the Lord to become lukewarm, not to become apathetic about the kingdom of God, the things of God. Certainly not to let a negative, begrudging attitude take root in our heart when it comes to serving the Lord. And, and, and remember, again, serving the Lord means serving Him. Whatever it is that we are doing, whatever you do, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's 24-7, 365, 
a very powerful witness in the world. The what we do and the way we do it. Think about that. Think about that in today's culture, uh, in our society, and how when we are, 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 are being served by others uh, at a business establishment, being waited upon, or uh, the interactions that we might have in our uh, daily work with other people. You know, there are there's some people who are serving the Lord in what they do, and there are others who are not. And And to do what we do as unto the Lord is a very, very powerful witness in the life that we live today. Verse 12 says, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. This is a great verse for our daily living. Remembering it every day. Rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, be constant in prayer. The hope to which Paul refers here, however, is not a vague wish for something good to happen in the short term. In other words, it's not simply a positive or optimistic attitude about how we, what we wish for, how we want our, our circumstances to unfold. Rather, here the scripture is commanding us, the scripture is commanding us to rejoice in hope, the hope, the blessed hope, the living hope, which is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, the hope of glory, the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, the fullness of our redemption, the new creation in all its glory, everlasting life in the kingdom of God. This is hope. This is our hope. It is not a wish, but it is an assured future reality. This is the hope that is to fill us with joy in the midst of living in a world of suffering. Remember Romans 8, 18. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That's the hope, the glory that is to be revealed. And so living in this world of woe, we do not despair, but we rejoice in hope. And therefore, empowered by that hope, we are enabled to be patient in tribulation. The word patient, here in verse 12, is not a passive, do-nothing patience, like waiting in the airport for your delayed flight. It's not that. The word patience in the New Testament, more often than not, really means to persevere. In fact, some English translations use the word persevere in this verse. To persevere in tribulation to endure, to bear up, and to press on through tribulation, distress, adversity, not to give up, not to give up hope. This sounds very much like Romans 5 verse 2, which says, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God, that which will be revealed to us. Not only that, but we rejoice 
in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance or suffering produces perseverance or suffering produces patience in that sense of the word. So Paul is really picking up on that all again. It's rooted in our justification by faith, the surety of our salvation in Christ. Because we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God now and we have the assured hope of glory in the future. And therefore, as Romans 8 says, we are assured that there is nothing in all creation, not even death itself, which can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. But this endurance, this perseverance through tribulation cannot be by our own power. We're not... So in this passage, in this little verse, we're not being told simply to buck up and have a stiff upper lip as we press on, but rather it says to be constant in prayer. This is the source of our joy and our strength through suffering, tribulation, persecution, adversity. It is communion with Jesus Christ. Be constant in prayer. It is not by our power, but by His power at work in us by the Holy Spirit, received, appropriated through constant prayer that we are enabled to persevere through tribulation. Now, throughout the New Testament, we hear exhortations to prayer, to be devoted in prayer, to pray without ceasing, to pray and not lose heart, to be earnest in prayer by day and night. And we have the example of the apostles and the, and the first century believers throughout the New Testament. So how can we as, a, as individuals or as a corporate congregation expect any power, blessing, or fruit in our lives if we cut ourselves off from the only source of spiritual blessing by neglecting to pray from our hearts? This is the first Sunday in the season of Lent. So may I encourage you, especially today, if you've not already established this discipline on a daily basis, to set aside a specific time every day. It may help to set aside a specific place every day. Cell phone, off. Computer, off. TV, off. You still got a landline? Off the hook. (laughs) A specific time every day in which you come before the Lord, giving thanks for all of His blessings, rejoicing in His mercies in Christ, seeking His grace and His power, to provide you all that you need as well as the needs of those you love and the body of Christ throughout the world. Seeking to grow in your fellowship with him. Seeking to become more like him. To the degree that we are devoted to prayer, constant in prayer, we will be devoted to Jesus Christ and growing in His likeness. 
Verse 13, encourage us as, encourages us to be people of tangible and material generosity and hospitality. It says, contribute to the needs of the saints. So this really speaks to the doctrine of the communion of saints, not in a mystical sense, uh, but in a rather, in a, in a very tangible and material sense, uh, in terms of the fellowship, in terms of the sharing of life together among believers. That's really what communion of saints means. It means sharing all of life together with fellow believers in the church. The, the principle is the same that we touched on last Sunday from 1 John chapter 3, 16, that we in the body of Christ ought to be sensitive to and responsive to the material, physical, and emotional needs of our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. Now, obviously, also, in terms of the corporate life of the church, by means of your faithful financial stewardship, which is evident in the life of this congregation, thanks be to God, you see, you are contributing to the needs of the saints. That is, contributing to providing for the ongoing life of this congregation in all its aspects. That's contributing to the needs of the saints. We all share in this together, right? But this goes beyond us and our congregation, responding to the needs of other Christians locally through local missions and in, in support of that Christian work that's being take, taking place in our community and to those around the world through the missionaries whom you support. So the needs of our Christian brothers and sisters contribute to the needs of the saints in places such as Lebanon, Kenya, Turkey, Guatemala, and elsewhere. You see... Those needs are being met by your generosity, contributing to the needs of the saints. In this way, locally and globally, you are contributing to the needs of the saints. As we care for one another, we ought to have a great care for the body of Christ throughout the world. We're also called to seek to show hospitality, which in the first century was especially important due to the fact that Christians who had been displaced by persecution or who were otherwise traveling for other reasons needed to have safe places to stay temporarily. Um, Inns, hotels, that's not what they were called, but in the first century they could be rather... Uh, sketchy, seedy places, and Christians didn't want to stay there. They might even encounter persecution. And so the need for, for Christians who had been displaced from their homes by persecution, who were traveling from one place to another, was, it was a great need. And so Paul encourages the Christians to show hospitality, to open their homes to fellow Christians. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 2 says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Now the context is different for us. I mean, generally speaking, Christians who are traveling usually have no need to knock on our doors. So let's think about the principle more broadly. Hospitality has to do with welcoming others. Hospitality has to do not only with inviting others into our homes, 
but more significantly into our lives. Hospitality has to do with a generosity of spirit which is open to other people in a welcoming sort of way, whatever that may mean. Now, showing hospitality in your home is a wonderful thing to do. It ought to be encouraged in the life of our, of our congregation and, and, and having folks into your home, but it can be applied more broadly. So for the sake of Jesus Christ in response to his mercies, do you have time? And figuratively speaking, will you make space for someone else in your life? Will you open your life to a new friend in Christ? Will you open your heart to a new brother or sister in Christ? That might mean inviting them into your home. That would be a wonderful thing. But it might. It could also be inviting them to go with you for a meal elsewhere. The point is a hospitality of spirit, a welcoming. So as we continue to grow numerically, I mean, look, instructions for discipleship, how to live as Christians. We can't just read this and think, oh, well, that sounds nice. This is not advice about how to be nice. This is how to live as Christians. Okay? It's the word of God. So, as we continue to grow numerically, will we be committed to show hospitality to one another? Not only on Sunday mornings, but in the routine of our lives with one another. As we grow in Christ, will we grow in relationships one with another? You know, it's one thing to be a friendly congregation on Sunday morning. What a, oh, it's such a friendly congregation. Well, it's a different thing, it's quite a different thing to be a congregation of people who share and show friendship, hospitality, meaningful fellowship on the other days of the week as well. Friendly congregation on Sunday? That's a good start. Let's not stop there. So seek to show hospitality to someone in our congregation whom you don't know very well. This is the challenge for you covenanters. Get out of your social box. Get out of your comfort zone. Get out of your rut and routine. Show hospitality in some form to someone in this congregation whom you don't know very well and whose path you would not ordinarily cross. Now, why do you do, why do, you do this? You do it in response to the mercies of God because through Jesus Christ, God has shown us His hospitality. He's welcomed us into His home. And so then this ties very closely with verses 15 and following. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. 
Now, these instructions will apply to our relationships with all people, of course, but especially to our brothers and sisters in Christ. We are to live empathetic lives, caring for one another deeply, willing to bear one another's burdens, entering into each other's joys and sorrows. This is the antidote to loneliness and despair. We communicate the presence of Christ to one another. When we come alongside each other in special times of need or celebration, this is what it means to be the body of Christ. We, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. And when a part of the body hurts, we hurt. When a part of the body is rejoicing, we rejoice. And so the church is called to live in harmony, the unity of the Spirit. Harmony is a wonderful blend of different notes and different sounds, which enriches the music. So the differences of our individuality are intended to come together in the beauty beauty of unity in Christ. Hospitality to one another, openness to one another, welcoming one another, sharing life with one another helps to form and to foster that beautiful harmony in our body life as the church of Jesus Christ. And so we're commanded not to be haughty, but to associate with the lowly. What's Paul dealing with here in first century? The same things we would deal with here. Socioeconomic, cultural, educational distinctions which ought to have nothing to do with our fellowship in Christ. Rather than divide us, those differences ought to be the very thing from which the Holy Spirit creates a beautiful symphonic harmony in our life together as the body of Christ. Never be wise in your own sight is simply another call to humility, not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, too good for someone else. Never to think that we are above the counsel and wisdom of others in the body. And then at verse 14, the circle widens in terms of our Christian witness. When the word says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Obviously, this doesn't refer to fellow Christians, but to those who oppose Christ and his kingdom. And this verse needs to be read in conjunction with verses 17 and following. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so in these verses now, Paul is taking us beyond the body into the world in interaction with those who would oppose us or persecute us for Christ's sake. And I think that we can expect this opposition to Christian faith to increase in America in the near future. But let's remember, this is nothing new. You're going to read about it in the news with a particular spin on it one way or the other. You're going to read about stories in the Internet. You're going to, you know, the next time the Supreme Court makes a ruling, here we go again. 
We need to be praying about that. We need to be praying for religious liberty. We need to be constant in prayer for the protection of the, the, the First Amendment rights of Christians in the United States of America. But let's remember that this, is not, this hostility to the gospel, to Christ and his people, is nothing new. And we are to follow both the teaching and the example of Jesus himself who said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. 1 Peter chapter 2 says that when Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. In other words, throughout his earthly ministry, and even as he was being crucified, Jesus did not respond to evil with evil, nor seek revenge. But he submitted himself and his suffering to the one who would execute vengeance with righteousness. Indeed, as Jesus was dying on the cross, he prayed for those who crucified him. Let me say in passing that these let me say in passing that these verses have to do with personal enemies, at personal circumstances, the people who inflict personal hurt upon us in one word. This passage does not speak directly to the issue of war, for example. We're not going to go there. Though humane treatment of prisoners of war and other limitations of cruelty in war, no doubt, have come into Western civilization only through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We ought to take note of that. But nor does this passage speak directly to the issue of crime and punishment by the civil authorities. That's another subject which we get to in Romans 13. But as Christians, if we are faithful to Jesus, we will face plenty of personal persecution, hostility, opposition, slander, and general ugliness in 21st century America to which we are called to respond with the dignity and the peaceableness and the goodness and the steadiness and the courage of Jesus Christ, leaving all vengeance to God. There's no idealistic naivete here. The word says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, some people might not want to live peaceably with us because we are Christians. They might want to stir up as much trouble and strife against us because we are Christians. We can't control that. We are called to be peacemakers But there are those who are so opposed to Jesus Christ that they will not live in peace with us. Nevertheless, we are not to repay evil for evil. Now, call your attention to this. In his second letter to Timothy, the Apostle Paul warned Timothy to beware of Alexander the coppersmith. So again, there's no naivete here. There's no idealism, you know, form a circle, hold hands, and teach the world to sing in harmony. That's not... This is very realistic. In his second letter to Timothy, the Apostle Paul warned Timothy to beware of Alexander the coppersmith. We don't know what Alexander did, but Paul writes, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. So what's the point? Paul wasn't going to waste his time and energy seeking revenge or living in bitterness. 
He entrusted himself and whatever suffering Alexander had caused him to the one who judges justly, who has said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And you see, that sets us free. That sets us free from the power of evil so that we may overcome evil with good. It sets us free from the power of evil so that evil doesn't set the agenda for us and control us. And that's what the proverb means which says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him drink. By so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head, namely by returning good for evil by doing good to those who hate us, by blessing those who curse us, by praying for those who abuse us, which we're commanded to do by Jesus. We are showing forth the uncomparable power of Christ and thereby have the greatest opportunity of conquering our enemy for the sake of the kingdom of God. That's the point. In other words, kill them with kindness. Conquer them with love. Of course, this might not always lead to their conversion. But at least we will not have denied and disobeyed our Lord and Savior. We are called to follow in his steps whom the world hated before it hated us. And as 1 Peter chapter 3 says, it is better to suffer for doing good. If that should be God's will, than for doing evil. And so, in response to the mercies of God, trusting in Christ our Savior, relying upon the power of the Holy Spirit, rejoicing in the hope of glory, being patient in tribulation, being constant in prayer, in the midst of this crazy, cruel, anti-Christian world, let us not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Which is another way of saying, let us not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of our mind. And to God be the glory. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word which teaches us how we are to live in response to your grace and for your glory. Help us, we pray. Who is sufficient for these things? We can do this only... O Lord, as you supply the grace and the power through the Holy Spirit so that we might live as the citizens of heaven even now on earth. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, let us stand to affirm our faith in the Philippian Creed.